Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed help us to seek your precepts, to seek your law, to seek your word this morning, so that we may walk in the freedom that your word brings. Oh Lord, we look around the world and the people of this world are so confused as to how they are to walk. And Lord, we know that your word contains all that we need to know how to freely walk in this world before yourself. So Lord, we pray that we would look carefully at your word this morning and that we would walk with joy before you as a result of listening to your word and then putting it into practice. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come once more to the book of Amos, which we've been working our way through together. And Amos is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets because uh, his prophecy is not as long as some of the major prophets. And he comes to the Israelites during the time that the kingdom is split in two. After Solomon, the great King Solomon, who was the son of David, uh, after him, uh, his son inherited the throne, but... uh, most of the tribes of Israel broke away from him. And so what you ended up ha- having is in the land of Israel, you've got the northern tribes, uh, the, and that's called the kingdom of Israel. And then you've got the southern tribe, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom down in the south. And so there's this split that's happened between the Israelites. And Amos actually comes from the south. He comes from the land of Judah, but he has been sent by God up to the Israelites in the north, to the kingdom of Israel. And we've been looking at his prophecies, what he has to say to the Israelites. And it hasn't been good news. It's been a lot of bad news to the Israelites. And he's been particularly good at condemning the social evils that are happening within the land of Israel. The Israelites were taking advantage of one another. Some of them were very wealthy and and living luxurious lifestyles at the expense of the poor, and they were often being religious hypocrites. They were coming to God and claiming to worship him, but then the way that they were living through the week spoke very loudly against their religious practices on Sunday. And so Amos has been delivering judgment after judgment upon the people of Israel. And so here it's not surprising in chapter 7 that we see some opposition finally comes against Amos. There's been little hints of it as we've been going through, but here is a very clear declaration that someone does not like Amos. And that person is Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. And we saw that there in verse 10. Verse 10, Amos chapter 7. I encourage you to have a black church Bible open in front of you if you did not bring your own as we look through this passage together. And we see in chapter 7 there, verse 10, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear his words. For this is what Amos is saying, Jeroboam, that's the king, will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Here Amaziah the priest is opposing Amos and the first thing he does is he doesn't speak directly to Amos. What does he do? He sends a message to the king. He gossips to the king of Israel and tells him that Amos is no good. He actually accuses Amos of raising a uh, a is conspiring against the king. It says in verse 11 that Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. And in verse 10 it says Amos is raising a conspiracy. He's making out that Amos is trying to gather some Israelites and they're going to go and fight against the king. Which is not true. Amos isn't conspiring with people to, uh, to take over the throne. No, but he is warning that another nation is going to come. 
and destroy the land of Israel for their sin. And then there's not just this hidden opposition to Amaziah, uh, to Amos by Amaziah. We see that Amaziah also is openly hostile to Amos for what he is saying. And we see that in verse 12 where he tells him to get out. Verse 12 it says, Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. He's now up front with Amos. I don't want you around here. Get out. And he starts to slander Amos. He starts to imply that he's just here for the money. Earn your bread down in Judah. Don't try and earn your bread here by prophesying. He's accusing him of being a prophet who's in it for the cash. If I go around speaking the word of God, people will be favorable to me and give me some money. He's saying that that's what Amos is up to. He's really just trying to raise an income for himself here in Israel. And he even starts to get a little bit racist and reminding him that you're really from Judah. You don't need to be up here. You're from the southern kingdom. You're from the enemy. You shouldn't be up here. You should get out and go back to your own country. So what does Amos do in face of this opposition? Well, he defends himself by pointing out the fact that he was called to the role. We see in verse 14, Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Amos is saying, I'm not here for the money. I had quite a nice job. I enjoyed being a shepherd. I took care of some sycamore fig trees. I was quite okay. It's God who has called me to prophesy. I didn't choose to come up here. God chose for me to come and prophesy to you. And then Amos, after defending himself and his role as a prophet, he then gives a word of warning to the one who discourages the preaching of God's word. And we see that in verse 16. Amos says in verse 16, chapter 7, Now then hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Here we see Amos predicting what happens to those who try to shut out the word of God, to tell preachers of God's word to be silent, to go away. He says, this is going to happen to you. Your wife will be a prostitute. Your children will die by the sword. And you yourself will die, not in your own country, but in a foreign nation. You will go into exile. And I think this is a helpful passage for us to look at today because we have to understand that if we proclaim the word of God like Amos did, then we will meet opposition like Amos did as well. It happens that when people hear the word of God, they like to oppose it. There's something evil in humans that hate God's preachers. Those who talk about the judgment that is to come, people hate to hear it. And Jesus warns his own apostles of this fact. We saw that in the passage that we had read for us from John 15 and 16. He talks about the opposition that they will face. And we see that that actually came true as you look at the lives of the apostles. Many of them were opposed and some were even martyred for proclaiming the truth of God's word. 
It hasn't just been something that happened in Amos's day, that Amos was the only one that got singled out with opposition. No, it happened again and again with God's prophets. It happened with the apostles. And we know if you're a Christian today and you proclaim the truth, if you tell people that there's a judgment to come, that people will oppose you as well. In what ways will they oppose you? Well, they can hide their opposition at first, just like we see with Amaziah. He went behind Amos's back to the king, and people can do the same to you. They can spread lies about you and contact people behind your back. They may even contact the authorities and talk about what you've been saying. And often in Western countries, this has been happening many uh, well, all through the centuries, and we know in certain parts of the world that, yes, people can report you to the authorities for speaking the good news about Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. But even in Western countries like our own, it's getting increasingly difficult to speak without fear that the authorities may come knocking on your door for some of the things that are taught in God's word. If you proclaim those, it's often considered hate speech these days, and you can be prosecuted and fined for proclaiming the truth just interesting last week or last month the wall street journal reported that the european court of human rights last month upheld a 2011 verdict by an austrian court so an austrian court you would think that proclaiming any sort of truth there would be upheld that you wouldn't be fined for what you say but an austrian court in 2011 fined a woman for comments about muhammad and this european court has now upheld that ruling in 2018. You think you're safe in Australia. We have laws here in this country to do with uh, hatred, vilification laws. People can report you to the authorities behind your back for what you say. There's opposition there. Or it may not be to the authorities in terms of the governments of the land, but it may be that you're reported behind your back to your boss at work for your Christian beliefs and for some of the things that you've said. People might report you to the boss that your Christianity is bad for the morale of the company. I and mean, as we see more and more companies in Australia embracing sexual immorality that the Bible condemns, it's going to become increasingly hard for some employees to keep their jobs if they're reported to the boss that they hold to a particular sexual ethic that the Bible proclaims. But they also condemn particular sexual immoralities that the Bible condemns. So some people may oppose you in secret ways, but they may oppose you openly as well. People may stop you from teaching the gospel altogether and command you to go back to where you came from. Don't teach about Jesus Christ and the judgment to come. And this can happen not just outside the church. People can stop the preaching of God's word within the church. We have to be very careful to note who Amaziah is in chapter 7. Who is Amaziah? He's a priest. He's meant to be someone that is encouraging the preaching of God's word, to encourage people to worship the Lord. And instead, he is opposing the spokesman of God. And this can happen within Christian churches as well, that people will stop the preacher himself up the front from proclaiming the truth. They will discourage him and try and shut him down. Or they discourage other church members from talking about the gospel and the judgment to come. God never promised us that within the church it would be completely pure and we'd all be encouraging to one another and supportive of the preaching of God's word. I read in an article by a US pastor, Tom Lyon, 
in an article on preaching last month, he says there's three kinds of people in the church. The wolves are always howling. The goats are always butting. But the sheep just love everything, and they are the kind of people who profit from preaching. There are other sheep who love everything, and they love the preaching of God's word. There's also the goats who are always butting against the proclamation of truth. And there's the wolves who are always howling. Sometimes they look like sheep. They come in the disguise of sheep. They oppose the preaching of God's word. And they can be the most destructive attacks upon the preaching of God's word, those that come from within the church. If you want an example of that, just look at Jesus Christ. Why did he die at the cross? Well, there's many reasons, but one of the reasons is the church opposed him. The religious leaders brought him to the authorities, just like Amaziah was trying to bring Amos to the authorities. It can be very destructive, the acts of people, so-called Christians within a church, who try to stop the preaching of God's word. So what are we supposed to do when we're opposed as we try to proclaim the gospel, try and proclaim the word of God, to preach God's word? Well, we can do what Amos did. We can think about the reason why we do it. Why do we proclaim God's word? Well, it's because we were called to do so. That's what Amos said. He said that he was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Why do we prophesy? Why do we speak about the judgment to come? It's because God has called us to do so. It's not our choice. It's God's choice to make us proclaimers of God's word. And we see that again and again in the Bible. The official teachers of God's word are often quite happy doing their job. And then God calls them to be teachers of God's people, to proclaim the truth. We see that with Moses. He's out quite happily tending a flock in the desert and then there's a burning bush that he goes over and is curious about. And next thing you know, he's in charge of about two million people who grumble and complain all through the desert. Sure, he thought back to that time when he was just looking after those sheep quite happily. And then God chose him to be a teacher of God's word. And the apostles, fishermen, out quite happily fishing. And then Jesus summons them and says, follow me and I will teach you to be fishers of men. Why do we proclaim God's word? It's because God has called us to do so. And I recognize this in my own life. I've got a particular calling to preach God's word on a regular basis in a particular way. And I recognize that I do it because God called me to do so. I was quite happy in my previous job. I was quite content. I had no need of a job. I was quite content in what I was doing before I came into the ministry. And as a pastor's son, I'd seen how churches can treat pastors. My mother was actually praying that I would never go into ministry because she had seen how much hurt had been inflicted upon her husband, and so she didn't want that to happen to her son. She was not keen for me to do that. And I must admit, there are joys in the ministry, but it can be very hard work as well. There's always reasons to be discouraged. There's always people who will give some word of discouragement to you at some point. And it's not just that that makes the ministry hard work. It's the fact that you're the mouthpiece of God. What did Moses say? when he was called 
to be a teacher of God's people. He said, I'm not eloquent. I can't speak. And what did Isaiah say when he was called to be a prophet? He said, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Getting up every Sunday on God's behalf as his ambassador and speaking with his authority is a weight upon the shoulders of any preacher of God's word. You're daft if you go into the ministry for cash, as Amos was accused of here. It's not worth it. It's not worth all the money in the world to be God's spokesman and to have that weight upon yourself. And so if you were to fire me tomorrow, part of me would give a big sigh of relief. I can get out of this now. But for now, even as there's opposition against me from time to time, I know that God has called me to preach here. You, as members of the church, have called me to be the preacher here, and that is the Spirit of God working in you, calling me to be here. And I know God gave me an internal call as well many years ago that I kicked against it for a bit, but eventually gave into and came into the ministry. And so while he's called me here to preach, I must continue to preach, despite opposition, just as Amos did. There was no backing down. While God had called him to be a prophet of God's word, he would continue to proclaim God's word, despite the opposition. And it's the same for you too. When people oppose you, you should remember the same thing. When you tell people about hell and they get their feathers ruffled, you should remember that you didn't choose to be a proclaimer of God's truth. God chose you to be fishers of men, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God chose you to be his priests and prophets and has commanded you to warn others. And there's no choice about it. You can't go back to your own country where you came from, the kingdom of darkness. Is that an option for you? Are you really going to go back to the kingdom of darkness, to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and no longer serve the Lord Jesus Christ? No, it's not an option. If you're a solid Christian, you know that you cannot go back. And though part of you might give a big sigh of relief if you were told, you don't have to evangelize anymore. You don't have to tell anyone about Jesus Christ anymore. You don't have to mention that unpalatable topic of hell with anyone else. You might, part of you might give a big sigh of relief. But you keep going because you know that the command to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to warn people of the judgment to come, hasn't been rescinded. It's still in force right now. And so while God has called you to his kingdom, while he has called you to be a fisher of men, you must continue to do so. We need to be like teenagers who are grateful for their first job. I remember when I was applying for jobs as a teenager, I wanted some income, and you're wanting to go around all these different shops and you apply for, well, that's where I did, retail work, I applied different places. McDonald's didn't give me a job, um, obviously not McDonald's uh, material. But eventually I got a job, and I got a job at Target, and I was so excited about it. I was so happy to have that job at Target, my first job. And I was so pleased when I got the Target name badge, that there was the word Target across the top, and there was my name. I was associated with the company. I had a job, and I had a paycheck coming every fortnight accordingly. And so even though there was opposition as I was doing my job, I was quite happy doing the work. Even though it could be difficult work at times, I was quite happy doing that job. It was interesting, the longer I was in the job, the more cynical I got about it. 
and I looked forward to the day where I'd be able to resign and leave. And you get cynical about the managers, you get cynical about the customers, and uh, yes, you're not so happy about the job, and you come to even despise the job, and you have other staff members that talk badly of the job as well. And so you're not as eager as you once were. And it's like that as a Christian. We can be very excited and eager initially to proclaim the truth. And we're happy to have Christ's name put upon us, that we are Christians. But over time, we start to get cynical about it. As the opposition comes and as the workload increases, time wears on and we become cynical. And so we shouldn't really look at it our role as Christians, as a sales assistant at Target, eager for our first job. We should look at it more like a soldier in an army. Why? Because a soldier is employed. He knows when he gets into that job that he's going against the enemies, that there is opposition. In Target, yes, stock falls over, customers can be rude. There's not that much opposition at the end of the day. Managers may be a bit difficult. Always asking you to work, which is a problem when you're lazy. But in the army, you know that fighting the enemy is part of the job. That's it. And so you go in with this mindset of, there's going to be opposition for doing my role, and so I can handle it. And you're excited to do the work. And why are you excited to do the work? Not just because of the paycheck, but because you know the commander-in-chief has chosen you to go into that role. Some soldiers are eager to get into battle. They're excited when the boss says, yes, you can go. And they're disappointed if they're not able to go. They volunteer for the hard jobs because they want to go in and fight the enemy. They want to do what they're employed to do. And that's what we need to be like as Christians. We need to be ones who recognize that there is going to be opposition. But we're happy that the commander-in-chief has chosen us to be the proclaimers of his truth. It'd be easy for the commander-in-chief, our Lord Jesus Christ, to just change all the hearts in the world so they all believe in Jesus Christ and they all follow him. But instead, in his wisdom, he has chosen that we are his ambassadors, we are his soldiers, we are the proclaimers of his truth. It looks like foolishness to us. It looks like foolishness to the world. But in the wisdom of God, that's what he's chosen to do. And we should be excited that he has chosen us, that the commander-in-chief has chosen us to be proclaimers of his truth. And that's what I remind myself as a pastor when I'm getting down about things. I remember, no, God has chosen me for this, and it's wonderful that he has. I was chosen, but I also volunteered for this role as well. I went kicking and screaming at first, but eventually I said, yes, I want to do it. And that's what we need to be like as well. We need to be people who know that there's opposition, but we know that that's what we were chosen for, is to proclaim the truth despite the opposition that comes along. And so we don't worry about the enemy. If we do worry about the enemy, it's because of what is coming to them. They've got enough worries of their own without you worrying about them as well. What happened when Amos was confronted by Amaziah? He spoke about his call, but then what did he say in verse 15? Uh, Verse 16, now then hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Awful thoughts as to what could happen to someone. Your wife is a prostitute. Your children will be killed. And what happens to you? You die in a foreign land. The enemies of God's preachers have enough to worry about. 
and family worship at our home, we've been working our way through the book of Numbers. We've had to skip a lot of numbers, but we're sticking to the narrative parts. And the other night, Korah had his rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and the children were reading it, and it says the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his followers. There were chuckles around the dinner table about the earth opening up its mouth and swallowing people and how everybody flees back so they don't get swallowed up as well. But really, we shouldn't be chuckling about what happens to God's followers, uh, to those who oppose God's followers. We should feel sorry for them and look at what will happen to them if they continue in their path, if they continue to oppose God's followers and God himself ultimately. We should feel sorry for them. I've just finished reading, I've mentioned it before, the book Corrie Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. And one of the things that really struck me, this is a book about someone who, uh, during Nazi Germany, she and her sister hid Jews. Uh, They lived in the Netherlands and they were eventually caught for hiding Jews and they were put into concentration camps uh, for as political prisoners. And they were Christians, very devout Christians, uh, lovely to read about what they did and how they continued to trust in the Lord throughout it all. But uh, one thing that struck me is that Corrie is always talking about her, how her sister Betsy is more holy than her because Corrie's looking out at the, the concentration camp and looking at all these women who are there as prisoners and she's feeling sorry for them and, and her sister's saying, yes, we should feel sorry for them. And she's going, yes, yes. And then she realises her sister Betsy is feeling sorry for the guards. She's feeling sorry for those Nazis who are oppressing God's people and oppressing these poor women. And she says, I feel sorry for them. And these people can be taught to love as well if we just have a place in our hearts for them. And that's what we should be doing. If we worry about the opposition, it shouldn't be with a view to, oh, I'm scared of what they might do to us. No, that's part of what the job we've signed up for has, what God has called us to do. We should feel sorry for them because if they continue on their path, they will go into exile. They'll go into exile in hell. Their wife may not become a prostitute. Their sons and daughters may not be killed by the sword, but they'll definitely go into exile. God's word has told us, and it is true. They'll go into exile in hell. And so if some of you this morning, you may be ones who oppose the proclamation of God's word. You may be ones who oppose the greatest preacher of all, Jesus Christ himself, who taught very clearly about the judgment to come. I encourage you this morning to realise what you're doing. Don't tell yourself lies about Jesus Christ, that he's not the Son of God, that he didn't die for sins, that he was some sort of conspiracy theorist about a judgment to come, that Jesus Christ didn't know what he was talking about. He was just a madman who was making up conspiracies. He was as phony as the little boy who cried wolf when there was no wolf. Or in our case, in our family home. It's a budgerigar who cries currawong. We had a, uh, a currawong that came and tried to eat one of our budgerigars, took a chunk out of her chest, her feathers, and, uh, and she made this horrible noise when it was happening. And so now whenever our children hear our budgerigar make that noise, they jump up and go out to try and scare away our currawong. Uh, but the budgerigar makes that noise quite often. It's the budgerigar who cries currawong when there is no currawong trying to eat her. Jesus wasn't like that. He wasn't a conspiracy theorist making up stuff about a judgment to come when there is no judgment to come. He was deadly serious. 
And so if you tell Jesus to stop preaching in your head, if you tell Jesus to get out, like Amaziah told Amos so many years ago, get out, go prophesy to, uh, to others, uh, then the worst thing that can happen, if you say that to Jesus Christ, if you tell him to go away, the worst thing that can happen is he actually listens to you and goes away and stops proclaiming his gospel to you. And eventually he goes away altogether and leaves you in the torments of hell. Everything good that you experience in this world is from the loving hand of Jesus Christ because his presence is still here in this world. He's turned his face towards this world and still loves so many people in it, even when they do not love him. If you tell him to get out and go away, the worst thing that can happen is he does and leaves you in the torments that this world has, but also in the torments that never end in the life to come. So I encourage you, if you're opposing the proclamation of the truth from God's word, from his people, from Jesus Christ himself, I encourage you to embrace the humble carpenter, Jesus Christ. Embrace him, trust in him, love him, and believe that his death on the cross was for your sins so that you will not be judged in the life to come. We pray and I encourage you to do this now. Look to Jesus. Trust him, even now. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us and making us fishers of men. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to speak boldly despite those who oppose us. But Lord, we pray for those who do oppose the preaching of your God's, of your word. Lord, we pray that you would show mercy to them. And Lord, we pray that they would realize what they're doing. We pray that they would heed the judgment that is to come, that they will one day be sent into exile as surely as Amaziah was sent into exile, that they will too if they do not repent. So, Lord, we pray that if there is anyone in this room who is unrepentant, who does not like the preaching of your word, oh, Lord, humble them now and soften their hearts so they embrace Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.